welcome to the Park Road Podcast for July 5th, 2015. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Amy Jacks Dean, co-pastor with Russ Dean at Park Road Baptist Church. Her sermon today is entitled, Tall Towers of Hope. If you only had one month to live, how would you live it differently? What would you do? Where would you go? What items of business would you need to tidy up? What fun would be left to be had? Would your last month be spent cleaning out your closets so that your loved ones wouldn't have to decide the fate of all your stuff? Or for me, cleaning out your closet so you wouldn't have to be embarrassed about all the things your loved ones would find that you had hoarded. Or if you only had one month to live, would you spend your last days checking items off the proverbial bucket list? Or would you rather spend each and every day living even the most mundane pieces of your life to the fullest? If you only had a month, How would you live it? It's an interesting question to ponder. But instead of just thinking about yourself and how you would live your life, what about us? What if we found out that we would need to close our church doors in the next month? What would we do? How would we act? How would we spend our final days as a church together? I bet we would be together more. I bet we would make our last four opportunities to worship together a priority. We would postpone our vacation. We would put aside our need to sleep in on that Sunday because we had been so busy for the rest of the week. I bet we would plan a big missions event. You know, leave our mark in this world. We would want to go out in style, wouldn't we? We would reminisce and we would tell stories and we would remember when to death. We would take care of business. We would eat together more, pray together more. We would laugh and cry together more. I think about Tableau. Now, for anybody that's relatively new, they're saying, what's Tableau? Well, see me afterwards for me to tell you the whole story. But basically, Tableau was a living nativity that this church offered to the community, and it lasted forever. We did it for 50 years consecutively, 14 nights before Christmas then seven nights before Christmas. Then finally, by the time we moved here, it was four nights before Christmas. And when it finally came time to stop, Wendy Watson said, 
that she would lead a one last one. She didn't want us to do the present the living nativity to the community and then realize, oh, that was the last time and we didn't celebrate it. So whenever we decide this is the last time, Wendy said, I will lead the last time. And we did. We ended with a bang. Though sad to see it go for many, we ended in great celebration. People came out of the woodworks to volunteer. Our youth were so aggravated because they didn't get to work their normal four nights in a row like they loved to do and which they had to do in order for us to make it happen. And many folks observed that if we had had this kind of last year every year, we wouldn't have to end the thing. But we didn't have that kind of volunteer response every year, just the last year. When we knew it was the last year, some of the last few years, there weren't enough people to be angels up on the roof. And because it was an event that was seen from so far away, we could fake it by putting mop heads and wigs to stand in for the back row angels. But the last year, we had an angel in every spot for every show, every night. Because you see, when the end is near, we act differently. We think differently. We respond differently. Everything is different in the last days. Maybe what Jesus was trying to tell us in our text for today is that we should live as if all of our days were last days. Today we find ourselves, obviously, once again, making our way through the Gospel of Mark. And this particular section of the Gospel of Mark, the 13th chapter, is known as the Little Apocalypse. End time stuff. You know, the stuff we progressive liberals hate. Sometimes people like to interpret these apocalyptic messages as fortune-telling, looking for signs to predict the future I spent a good bit of my growing up years learning about end times things, the tribulation and stuff. I specifically remember of all the plagues that the locusts scared me the most. I've told you before that I can remember praying as a child that should I live to the end times, Lord, take me before the locusts come. It was that real and that scary to me. And I think about my sons, and they don't even have a foggy idea what I'm talking about when I say something about the tribulation and the plagues and the locusts. Because fear has never been used as a motivator in matters of faith at our house or in our preaching. Jesus is talking about last things here but as one commentary reminds us, this form of prophetic speech is a form of instruction, not fortune-telling. Jesus' intent was not to scare people or even to want 
even to warn them about some future events such as he was speaking is so much as he was speaking about how to live in the now and his consistent word throughout this passage is be alert keep watch be ready so many people for all these years have read it and heard it and interpreted any end times texts in light of wanting and expecting a second coming of the Messiah. It could be any day now. That's certainly what it feels like right now in the world. And that's what it's felt like for every single generation since the time that Jesus spoke these words. And every single generation has produced people that are constantly predicting our end and, in my opinion, completely missing the point of Jesus' message today. I'm sure there have been lots of very disappointed and frustrated Christians who have interpreted the recent Supreme Court rulings as a sign of the end times. Gays can legally marry Jesus must surely be coming. The locusts are not far behind. At the same time, Christians on the other end of the theological spectrum have viewed things like the recent burning of African-American churches, perhaps not as a sign of a literal end time, but as a signal that leads us towards utter despair. What is this world coming to? Is there any end to the violence and the chaos and the brokenness just as with every generation before us, even the disciples that asked Jesus right here in this moment, every generation before us and every generation that will come after us, the headline news will call us all to ask, what is this world coming to? In Mark's gospel today, we are right at the edge of the beginning of the end for Jesus. He feels it. It is that intense. And in what is the longest discourse from Jesus that we've heard since chapter 4, he gives some words of instruction and warning. Not to induce fear, Not to be a doom and gloom preacher, but to help set a stage for how to live in the now. And how do we live in the now? Keep alert. Keep awake. Watch. All of the meditations in your bulletin today have been particularly helpful to me to understand this one chapter of Mark's gospel. But the sermon title came from the final meditation of commitment. Let me read a portion of it to you because you haven't gotten there in your bulletin yet. It's at the end. Jesus calls us to live with the intensity of last days while living our regular lives. He reminds us that we are not ultimately invested in this world, and he liberates us to work with courage, with hope. End times call for tall towers of hope. They call for a lightning speed reordering of priorities. End times call for alertness, sharpness. 
I love the idea that maybe we could interpret the 13th chapter of Mark instead of an end-time apocalypse. Maybe we could reinterpret this chapter and hear a calling for all of us to be tall towers of hope. Recently, I have been inspired by two tall towers of hope. Last fall, Dale Mullinex came and spoke on a Wednesday night to our gathered group. Dale is the executive director of Urban Ministries here in town. He had just launched a big press release about how their current campaign to end chronic homelessness in Charlotte might happen. He came to speak to our group, and I will never forget what he said. Dale said, we can end chronic homelessness in Charlotte. He was so emphatic. He was so sure. He was so confident. And for some reason, I think it was just the way that he said it with such conviction that I believed him. Hook, line, and sinker. I drank his Kool-Aid. I believed him. I still do. I think he has a plan, a good plan. And he's got backing. He's got support. He's got money coming in. I'm sure it's not enough. But I believe him. And I really hope that our church will try and discover ways to climb that tall tower of hope with him and spread that good news. In some ways... I think it was kind of like Jesus saying, keep alert, watch, be ready. We're going to be a part of ending chronic homelessness. Don't let this opportunity pass you by, Park Road. You have an opportunity to live in end time kind of days. You see, I'm very sure that this little apocalypse has nothing to do with an end time or a second coming of Jesus. Apocalyptic literature has everything to do with Jesus' constant coming to us. Not a second coming, but a coming constantly to us. And we need to be ready, keeping watch, alert, awake, tingly with anticipation and expectancy. Jesus is constantly coming in ways that make every day an end time kind of day. And when we fall asleep at night for a bit of rest, we should awaken with that sense of heightened awareness that each new day brings with it the same sense of urgency of another end time kind of day. Lo and behold, Jesus might show up today. I'm going to go ahead and say it. He is going to show up today. Will you be alert, ready, 
keeping watch. Hearing a piece of good news that says that we can end chronic homelessness in Charlotte is a sign that Jesus is constantly coming. A second tall tower of hope came last Monday night at the community conversation sponsored by Mecklenburg Ministries at Johnson C. Smith University where we were gathering to talk about this issue of race. It was an impromptu moment in the middle of the evening when the convener noticed that at the back of the packed room that the president of Johnson C. Smith had walked into the back we had gathered there to talk about issues of racism and white privilege. And in the middle of our time together, in a clearly impromptu and unrehearsed moment, the moderator of the event called Dr. Ron Carter to the front. To Dr. Carter, just give us a word of, of welcome and anything else you might want to say. Dr. Carter, a tall black man who has a calming demeanor and voice, took the microphone and he began to talk. Unscripted, unrehearsed, except for the fact that every single moment of his whole life as a black man is his script. He spoke so eloquently about our current state of affairs. He was grateful for those of us who had shown up to talk He believed in the importance of such conversations, though he quickly reminded us, as I've heard from my other black friends, black folks are tired of talking. He called for actionable items to come out of our conversation. Actionable items. Just talking would never be enough, he said. And that's when he said it. He said that he believed we could end racism. He was so emphatic. He was so sure. He was so confident. And for some reason, I think it was just the way that he said it with such conviction that I believed him. I bought it. Hook, line, and sinker. I drank Dr. Carter's Kool-Aid. It surprised me because this one seems way more impossible than the chronic homelessness to me. Until he said it. I don't know the man personally. We've met on several occasions. He's been here in our church as a part of one of our moments after one of the riots that happened in our country and we gathered here to be together, he came. I just know that this tall black man commanded a room and stood as a tower of hope to all of us gathered there and he spoke truth and I believed him. Unlike Dale Mullinex, he didn't offer a plan with goals and objectives. He just said he thought we could end, no, he said we could end racism, and I believed him. 
I really hope that our church will try and discover ways to climb that tall tower of hope with Dr. Carter and spread that good news. In some ways, I think it was kind of like Jesus saying, keep alert. Watch. Be ready. We're going to be a part of ending racism and white privilege. Don't let this opportunity pass you by, Park Road. You have an opportunity to live in end times kinds of days. Sometimes that's all it takes as a start is for someone to be ready and willing to get the ball rolling towards hope. We have to be alert, ready, awake, keeping watch, for one never knows when a tower of hope might just stop right in the midst of a situation as dire as homelessness and racism and give us hope that indeed justice and righteousness might just prevail. Neither Dale Mullinex nor Ron Carter said it would be easy. They didn't say it would be smooth sailing. They didn't say that it would come quickly. I just heard two men who have been watching for the coming of Jesus into our midst. I believe they have prepared themselves to be ready. I believe they've been keeping watch. I believe that they are alert. And I found myself wanting to follow them into the frontiers of hope, believing that I, we, can indeed make a difference. But it won't just happen because we say it will. We will have to do more than wish it into being or pray it into happening. We will have to act. I read an article this week entitled, What White Christians Need to Know About the Black Lives Matter Movement. They had five points, but it was the second point that grabbed me the most. The second point was white churches don't need to become multicultural. They just need to show up. One of the panelists that was being interviewed for this article said, the job for white churches is not to increase your membership of black people. The, the man said, I'm actually okay if you have a predominantly white church, especially in a place like Portland where he lives. It's not about clapping on two and four, which I wish white folks would do. One and three, I just don't understand. But what blows your church is striking against white supremacy. What if the next time a black boy gets shot, a white church shows up? They don't say a word, but they just go sit with that mama and ask what she needs. What if some white clergy showed up in their robes and stood between the protesters and the police, telling the police, you're going to have to go through us to get through our babies? The city councilmen are in your church. The judges are in your church. Call them up. Part of your task as white folks is to organize your crazy cousins. And that's what they said last week in the community conversation. All you white folks here need to talk to all your crazy white folks. And all you black folks here need to talk to your crazy black folks. So here's what I'm going to start doing to be a tall 
tower of hope. Which is what I really think Mark 13 is talking about. I'm going to try to start showing up for the homeless, for Black Lives Matter, for Love Wins, and for any other organized group or any other individual that does not have a voice, I'm going to try to show up. I'm going to try to be very alert, awake, and ready, and watching for where Jesus is coming again. And I'm going to learn how to proclaim hope with the confidence of Jesus, Del Mullinax, and Ron Carter. And I'm going to try to show up. May it be so. Amen. Thanks for listening today. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Grace and peace to you.